Hi, this is Henry Link from Ian World, Administrator, and I never would ever be caught dead listening to the Order 66 podcast. That is all. This is Luke Lowbrow, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Neither should any sentient being in this galaxy, nor any non-sentient being, nor any vegetable matter, nor any mineral matter, perhaps with the exception of field mice may enjoy the Order 66 podcast. Come on down to Toshi Station 24-hour fly through Ponder Blaster Speeder Park Cybernetic and don't give Manny a hundred discount Jedi outlet. Now we are going mobile with a sand crawler full of fun. Crossing the Dune Sea to bring you mag coils, grab boosters, uplinks, downlinks, blaster gas, and droid loop. Everybody needs resonators, astrogators, binder posts, and slightly used Republic Commander utility kilts. That means everything you need for a night on the town raising hell in the Boonta Eve Classic with a Moss Eisley drag strip. Tape drives, star drives, holo cubes, and smoke sticks. We bring our sales and service to come in person. See us on the Boonta Eve infield. We got what you need here at Toshi Station 24-hour fly through Ponder Blaster Speeder Park Cybernetic and don't give Panhandle Discount Jedi Outlet. Toshi, Toshi, what the waddle can't bring. Just outside of Anchorhead on Tatooine off the Corellian Run. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. Execute Order 66. This episode of the Order 66 podcast is brought to you in part by our sponsors, GoDaddy.com, Buy.com, and ThinkGeek.com. Also by the generous contribution of John Ragwell from Woodbridge, Virginia. This show, again, is for you. Welcome back, Gamer Nation. This is Sunday, July 26, 2009, and we're back for three quarters of a century worth of Order 66 podcasts, episode number <laughs> 75. Count them up. We're almost to two years, guys. Almost there. A hundred uh, episodes, and then we'll be done. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that gags up, but you know. <laughs> Yeah, Aww. yeah. Rest assured, the 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 truth of the matter will come up soon enough. But we will persist beyond episode 100, albeit with some changes, and we'll start cluing you guys into that soon. But it's going to be great. You guys are going to love it. In any event, I'm GM Dave, and we have a outstanding show for you guys tonight. I will introduce first a man who you just heard. Doing his Taji Station bit. In studio, kind of. Full on gamer. In the house. Yo, dude. What, what? What, what? Sorry, I didn't mean to preempt the two like hosts of the show, but uh-huh. it's like, it was like so, it's such a big deal that you like came here from, oh, I don't know, the other side of the planet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the Dune Sea can do without me, what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Although technically you are still in Iraq, correct? Yes, yeah, still in Iraq. You're just here on a little bit of R and R. That's the one. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, a little yeah. shore leave here and there. Never killed anybody, but yeah. Even though you don't get shore leave necessarily. Don't forget, someone should keep track of who was on the Death Star on pass or on leave at the time. They probably have issues with the destruction of their gear. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, potentially. <laughs> All right. Okay, and as always, the two the, the, the two that really make the show worth it, TG ah. and <laughs> Chris. Now, I don't know about GMC making the show worth it. I thought it was... Eh. <laughs> I'm, 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 here, I'm here for my sex appeal. That's it. Yeah. For your own... I see. You you draw yourself to the show. I get it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's, that's all I get out of this, pretty much. <laughs> what is up, Gamer Nation? For those of you who may be uh, encountering this podcast for the very first time, this is, of course, the Order 66 podcast, the only fan-generated podcast entirely devoted to the beauty that is Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing. And, um, God, we got a good show planned tonight, yes? I think we do, and let's get started. <laughs> Accessing. Ah, good. New acquisitions. Greetings, Gamer Nation. My designation is KCK Sim, and this is your Hollow News Net update. All right, we're going to start the Newsnet update with what is actually the first real bona fide replacement for Stormtrooper poetry that wasn't a joke. You guys listen to this and try not to laugh too hard into your mics. This is Luke Lowbrow for the evening update of the Holonet News Network, your first source for imperial propaganda. Today a labor crisis was averted in the core worlds. The parents group... Mothers Against Wookiee Nudity, known as MON, successfully passed an ordinance on 15 core planets that required all Wookiees working in space docks to wear shorts, kilts, lava-lava skirts, or lederhosen to ensure no children travelers are ever exposed to unregulated Wookiee anatomy. The Wookiee Teamsters Union quickly organized a strike on those worlds in protest of the new lederhosen laws. The strike was swiftly broken by the Imperial Ministry of Labor, who rapidly recruited all of the striking Wookiees into the Empire's uncompensated lifetime forced labor program. In a related story, Karelia's largest textile firm, famous for producing black utility vests and red-striped space trousers, filed for bankruptcy after they had retooled three of their largest factories to make a killing in the emerging Wookiee lederhosen market. The Karelian smuggler blogosphere was afire with angry smuggler bloggers, known as smoggers, demanded a new source for their treasured black vests and striped pants. The Krillian fashion industry responded by suggesting that all Krillian smugglers wear a more nautical-themed outfit, such as a blue blazer with white slacks, white loafers, and a white yachting cap. The smogger community had a mixed reaction to that suggestion. In entertainment news, the Anti-Gungan Defamation League was dealt a significant blow in their ongoing lawsuit against the producers of the box office holofilm hit... Boyo, where's uh, Misa Cloud Car? The holofilm chronicles the zany adventures of two lovable teen Gungans who wake up from a night of partying on Bespin and can't remember where they parked their airspeeder. 
the anti-Gungan Defamation League argued that the holofilm portrayed Gungans as foolish, dim-witted, simpleton imbeciles. The producer's legal defense team successfully counter-argued that there is, in fact, no other practical way to depict Gungans other than foolish, dim-witted, simpleton imbeciles. Judge Holblum Snarfblink ruled against the Gungans, and then he spent a full hour pitching ideas to the producers for the sequel of Boyo Wersa Misa Cloudcar in hopes of getting a writer's credit. That's all for Evening Update. I'm Luke Lowbrow. We now return you to your regularly scheduled Mon Calamari Hollow Ballet entitled The Majestic Iceberg Floating in a Sea Called... <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. oh Luke, <laughs> my friend. That was that, genius. <laughs> that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. That that might be a stormtrooper poetry. Oh, FTW. Yeah, FTW. Uh, you can't you can't just replace stormtrooper poetry. But my God, that may be the funniest thing we've played since Sam stuff. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yep, yeah. absolutely fantastic. Yep. So well, Dano, thank you for that. Thunder Dan, keep them coming, buddy. Thunder Dan rocks. Awesome. Well, other things on the announcements front, uh, as if uh, giving in to two weeks worth of jabbing, ribbing, and endless jibes, GM Brave and GM Tanny have released not one, but two new episodes of Minnie's Mayhem. But wait! Uh, but wait! There's three. <gasps> Shock! Really? Tonight. Yep, it's going up. It's being uploaded right now. I saw it on the server. Wow. Oh, dude. See, look at them. A, a, a few well-placed jibes and D20 Radio's errant minis podcast gets it. There you go. You know, I'm not sure what just happened to you, but, you know, it's one of those things. But yeah, not only did they get three episodes of Minis Mayhem up, but now, not to be completely outdone, they also, Brev also came up with Booyah. Cinematic Attic is back. Cinematic Attic, that podcast devoted to movies by Breb and Jed are back with Cinematic Attic number six, boys and girls. We're like really happy. I'm not entirely sure what has happened with Skype, but we're going to get everybody back while we go through this. So now also not to be outdone with all the podcasts going up with Minnie's Mayhem and all that good stuff. Thank you, Brev, by the way, for getting all that content up there. Small But Vicious also have released two additional episodes as well. And uh, let's see. Small But Vicious, all about Warhammer Fantasy role-playing. This is old school and Shibuda, talking about halflings and talking about humans. So you guys give it a listen. Yes. So moving on. Gen Con, boys and girls, August 12th through August 16th, Indianapolis, Indiana, Gamer Nation will have quite a few people there. Of course, GM Chris is officially GMing two Saga Edition RPGA games on Friday from 1 to 6 and Saturday from 1 to 6. He's going to be GMing Murder Aboard the Exec- Executor. Okay, only two slots under, you know, obviously under that understanding that he's been going, uh, talking about for the last, I don't know, five weeks or so, that he's going to be running his own game, Secret of the Corellian Kite Hawk, and, which was introduced at ReaperCon as well as a new Legacy Era module, the Eye of Rishi, which has not ever been played before the con. And they'll be doing as much gaming as is humanly possible during the event. August 12th through August 16th, Indianapolis, Indiana, Gen Con. I 
thought I was going to be able to pop in for a day and then pop out on the 14th using some of my frequent flyer miles. But alas, it didn't work out. I have no place to stay that doesn't cost like $600. So, oh well, I won't be there. And also, Duncan, Vader's son, is going to run some games as well. So he wants to play The Death of the Star of Agnor. So you guys keep track of Duncan and Chris. And how do you do that, GM Dave? How do you do that, GM Dave? The way you do that is by signing up with Twitter. Obviously, you can follow me, GM Dave, uh, or actually twitter.com slash GM Dave. You can also follow Chris. And this is more important because they're all going to be using Chris's feed. GM Chris has set up Twitter. Finally, after we dragged him into the 21st century, he decided twitter.com slash GM Chris was for him. So all you Gamer Nation peeps that are going to be there at Gen Con, coordinate via Twitter for everything that is still going. All right. So moving on, what else do we have for you, Gamer Nation? The Rebellion Era Campaign Guide released on Tuesday, guys, and it is fantastic. If you haven't picked it up yet, you got to do it right now. There's so much stuff in there. The Rebellion Era, obviously a very, very good era to place a campaign in. A lot of people know it. It's the first three movies. You know, what else can you say about the Rebellion Era Campaign Guide? Other than that, just you got to go. You got to get it right now. I think, with any luck, we have managed to at least procure GM Chris back on the phone. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, I, I, I certainly have. We have a very large storm here, yeah. and I think it, it took us up for a little bit of time. Give me yeah. just one moment. It is uh, it is storming pretty fierce here in uh, North Texas land, and I was afraid that I was going to have to like save the podcast like every five minutes, and then, you know, but it moved on from me and then went to attack you, so, you know. It's pretty Pretty wild. TG, are you back on with us? I am. I Beautiful. am. So uh, how far did you get without we, us, Dave? We are producing on the fly here, boys and girls, and we are two-thirds of the way through the announcements page, and we Excellent. are actually right now saying that in case you have not listened to our last few episodes and you haven't listened like for the last six months we've been talking about the Any Awards, we are one of the final five, guys. And yes, we, need we are! Right now, Bye-bye. we need you to go online and vote. Any-awards.com, E-N-N-I-E-awards.com. It's a funky little instant runoff system where you have to like rank them one to five. So just rank D20 Radio and Order 66 number one. So we, we're, we're nominated in two categories, are we not? We are. We are nominated. Well, the Order 66 podcast has been nominated for Best Podcast, which is phenomenal. And then in an amazing move that shocks the living crap out of me, but I'm very pleased for it. Um, D20 Radio has received uh, a nomination um, among many. This is a very heavily nominated category. There's a lot of nominees. Um, a nomination for Best Publisher. And this is a, a fan award. Um, and we're up against, of course, the likes of you know White Wolf and uh, Wizards of the Coast. So, Green Ronin, you know, yeah, it's, exactly. It's one of those things, it's nice to be nominated. <laughs> yeah, it is. We're, we're going to be an also-ran, obviously, but hey, you never know. Weirder things have happened. I mean, the U.S. won, like, hockey game in 1980. You know, you never know. 84. Yeah. We certainly did. Um, You know, the thing is, we need your guys' help, and this is really where it's coming down. Um, We need the Gamer Nation to mobilize. You need to get to www.enniee-awards.com. 
com, and you need to vote as quickly as possible. And you need to tell all your friends and all your family and all your coworkers and everybody at your FLGS and all the forums that you post on that you need to vote as well. Absolutely. And while you're there voting, of course, also remember the product that we give much love to, Star Wars Saga Edition. The Star Wars Scum and Villainy book has been nominated for Best Cartography. The Star Wars Clone Wars Campaign Guide has been nominated for Best Supplement and for Product of the Year. And also, if you're a minis fan, uh, the Clone Wars Starter Set has been given the nod for Best Miniature Product. Mmm. Very nice. Yep. So... You know, that begs the question, or actually several questions, and Chris, I will turn it over to you at this point. Fantastic. Well, we've got a, a guest uh, with us on the show right now. Uh, Hans, say hi. Hello. <laughs> and Hans, g- give us your title. You are, you are uh, 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 what, what, uh, what, what is your title for, for the Any Awards? Uh, submissions Coordinator. Ah, the submissions coordinator for the Any Awards. Well, yeah. basically, basically, Gamer Nation, what, what, what happened is that we were getting so many emails and PMs from you guys saying, you know, hey, it's great that you guys were nominated for the Annies, and, and I know that it's some type of gaming award, but I don't really know much else about it. And we were directing people to the, of course, website and answering what questions we could, mm-hmm. but it occurred to us that it might be really nice to get someone who actually knows what the heck they're talking about on the show. <laughs> so, uh, Hans, thank you for coming on and, and answering some questions for us. You're welcome. Um, dude, tell us, first of all, uh, about the Ennies. For people who aren't aware of it, what is it? How does it start? What is it associated with? Um, the Ennies is, uh, is the RPG Industry Awards. They started in 2001 as a uh, joint venture between um, EN World and uh, Eric Noah's uh, unofficial D&D 3rd Edition News. Um, both, both of those websites have now kind of joined as kind of one entity. And right. it was an annual. It was conceived as an annual awards ceremony, and it initially was just online. But they uh, have expanded from internet-based awards to an actual awards ceremony that takes place at Gen Con. Fantastic. Now, when you say RPG Industry Awards, what type of awards are we talking about here? I mean, obviously, if our listeners know that obviously you're choosing like a best podcast and stuff like that. But what other types of things do you guys look at when you're? What type of any awards are out there? Um, there's awards for uh, best writing, um, best rules, uh, best miniatures product. Um, we have like a game of the year award or product of the year now. Um, best uh, cover art, best interior art, best cartography, and some of the some of the um, categories change from year to year depending on how many submissions we get. Yeah. So if we only get like two submissions that would qualify for a particular category, there's um, really not enough to have any kind of voting on. Um, I think that happened one year, even with podcasts. Just a yeah, years ago, yeah, we... that that makes good sense. Well, you yeah. talk about the submissions. How how does that submission process occur? How do the how do the nominations for these awards occur? Uh, well, the submissions occur when um, at after uh, after we give out the awards at Gen Con, some, uh, submissions are open for the next year's awards, and basically the publishers send us six copies of their uh, product that they wish to be considered. Um, Five of the copies go to the judges, and a sixth copy goes to me, which I keep in storage for um, fundraising purposes. And those, uh, the, the judges go through, they read all the books, they look at all the products, they play test, they evaluate, and they do this the entire year, and then they come up with a list of what they think are the best products in those categories. And then once they're all done with that, then they get together and they argue over which ones should be nominated. 
<laughs> and then eventually they reach a consensus, and then the nominees are announced. Fantastic. Well, okay. So okay. So once the nominees are announced, then at that point it goes to a public vote. Yes. That's correct. And that occurs online. Right. Now, uh, one of the questions I got was from a lot of listeners out there. Said, "Listen, there's there's a lot of categories." A lot of these categories, I don't really feel comfortable voting on. You know, I don't know anything about this particular any any of these nominated products, and I don't really want to rank them. You know, is it is it possible I can only vote for one or two things and still submit? Would my vote count? Yes, um, it it only it counts your votes per category. So if you leave, if you only want to vote for best cover art because that's that's a real easy one to look up, you can just go to Amazon for most of these products and see the cover art. So if you want to just vote for best cover art, you can do that, and then your votes will count for best cover art, and anything you left blank will just fall out on your ballot, and it won't register a vote for or against those products. Gotcha. Well, that that makes good sense. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys have been doing this obviously since two thousand one, and uh, it's mm-hmm. it's kind of grown. The award ceremony is is now at Gen Con um, every year, uh, the the Friday of Gen Con. Um, I know, I know, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be an absolute blast. Um, now, you'd mentioned that you you guys keep. Obviously, a product in there for fundraising purposes. Obviously, right. this you know running this the, the Annie Awards isn't isn't exactly a, a a free venture, and there has to be some some considerations to to take part in it. And it is a, such a wonderful thing for the industry. What can listeners and fans of En World and, and the Annies do to help support the Annie Awards, um, as well as as us publishers? What what can we do to help? Um, the best things that um, that are most helpful is. Uh, you know, come to the awards, get the word out to your publishers that if they have something that they want, um, that, that the fans want to see nominated, you know, tell the publishers, you know, you need to submit this. Because we don't, we don't generally try to actively solicit too much stuff because we don't want to be seen as endorsing, you know, a publisher over another. So we try not to solicit too much stuff. Mm. Um, but if the fans, you know, get, up, get up, you know, to their publishers and say, hey, we think this is a great product, you know, you need to submit it, then most of the publishers will do that. And, uh, of course, all the products that they submit that um, come to me for the fundraising purposes are put up in uh, up for auction prior to the uh, award ceremony. And people can go and bid on those items prior to the awards and possibly win a box full of RPG goodness. Nice. Now, I also heard that... Monetary donations are always accepted. Ah, and how would one go about doing that? Um, you would contact the uh, business manager, Denise Robinson... Her email address, you can, uh, let's see if I have it. It's, you can find it through the Any Awards website. That but, should be uh, easy enough, yeah. Yeah, that should be easy. And I, I have the address, and I can give that to you later if you'd like. Okay. Well, you know, while we're considering that, one other thing I really wanted to ask you about I thought was a hoot as I was, I was looking into this. Tell me about Dream Date. <laughs> the Dream Date, yes. Um, what that is is a publisher will... Uh, offer themselves up as a dream date and then the uh the fans can bid on that and whoever wins gets to spend the evening of the ennies um like in the entourage of that publisher wow so so where do they bid where do they go to bid um i believe that bidding is done i think it's been done on uh on ebay previously kind of like an ebay auction nice um, right now, we currently do not have anybody who is uh, who has you know volunteered themselves up for Dream Date. So right now, there is no Dream Date being offered at this time. We're still trying to get somebody to you know throw their hat in the ring and spend some time with their fans. Well, dude, 
Uh, I'll tell you what. TG and I are going to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I have no idea if anyone's going to want to hang out with us, but consider our hat thrown in the ring. Okay, I will. Uh, I will make a note of that and and let the proper authorities know about that. <laughs> Fantastic. Excellent. Well, that's 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 great news. I'm really looking forward to this, and I want to I want to thank you for taking the time to come on with us, Hans, and and explain a little bit about the any process and how it works. And I know there's been a lot of people questioning and, and curious to know what's going on with it. And again, the the website is is www.enni-awards.com. And yeah, that should be able right. that should be able to answer any questions anyone has. Yes. Yes, we have a we have a link there that has a whole history. People can go and see all the uh, nominees from previous years, along with all the winners. And we have staff pages so people can see our uh, our lovely mugs there if they want. <laughs> and we have uh, bios on the judges as well, the current judges. I think they take down the past judges as their terms expire. Gotcha. And it's just it's just a chock full of goodness, and that's also where they go to vote. And voting is will last. Um, gosh darn it! I had this information in my it's, brain, it's, and I just it's it's Friday, I think, to through the first. Yeah, I think right. Yeah, through Friday. That's correct. So there's still time to vote. Fantastic. And every vote counts. Excellent. Well, thank you guys for everything you do. I know that uh, you know the the, the Any Awards have given a lot to the gaming community, and uh, it's it's really uh, an honor to have you with us and to tell us about it. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. All right. Awesome. All right, dude. So, did we get like a postcard this week or something? Yeah, kind of. I, I got a. I actually got a very thick postcard this week. Um, seems to be printed with durable, high impact ink on it, forming a, a picture of a very large blue green world orbited by two moons. And the lettering on it reads, "The Merchant Council of Carida welcome all Imperial loyalists. All hail Palpatine." Yeah. From across the galaxy, it's time for Postcards from Commander Cody. Dear GM Dave and GM Chris, Well guys, after our relocation job on Deveron was handled with such discretion, the delivery boys have again cemented our image as Imperial transporters of extremely valuable cargo. And that's certainly the case this week. We've proudly arrived at the planet Carida to pick up an Imperial Fleet Admiral from Shore Leave and return him to the Ford Salt Fleet. <laughs> Apparently Lord Vader has received word of a functioning rebel base, and this Admiral has been tapped to leave the orbital assault and blockade of the world it's on. I'm also excited to come to Carida, a notoriously pro-Imperial world, and the site of numerous training facilities for the new generations of stormtroopers. I tell ya, I wish we had facilities like this when we little clones were hatched. Carida is a massive world with very high gravity, nearly double that of standard grav, making it ideal for training. I also understand various wild and dangerous alien beasts have been imported to the world for training purposes, giving our future boys in white all the skills they need in battle. Carida's size also provides numerous environments across the planet, once again giving rise to amazing training grounds. Icy polar regions, rainforest jungles, windswept deserts, and high mountain ranges all cover this world. Our passenger is an Admiral I've heard of but never served with, an Admiral Ozzel. He immediately informed us of his massive tactical prowess, and I was pleased that such a tactical giant would be leading our upcoming orbital assault. 
I am concerned, though, that I've managed to trounce him handedly in our last five Dejaric matches. Oh well, I'm sure his skills in space are without match. They better be. <laughs> you don't want to disappoint Lord Vader, or he'll, you know, choke you with his mind powers. <laughs> uh, well, look guys, we got to get Admiral Ozzel to the fleet. If you're in the Colonies regions, and you'd like to great work out, few places are better than Carida. You'll break a sweat just having a picnic. Later, guys. Long live the Empire! Your friend, Commander Cody. Hey, you know, in my youth, I went to a football game on Carida, you know? Oh, yeah? Football? Was it yeah. football or soccer? Soccer. No, soccer. no, no, it was, it was, it was, soccer, it was football. And uh, let me tell you something. You, you kick it as hard as you can, it goes about six feet. Very, very small, small uh, fields they have there. Yeah. What, like 25 yards instead of 100? Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> nice. Twenty docking bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. All right. Well. Well. All right. Here's the good news. D twenty docking bay brought to you by Coca Cola is um. <laughs> <laughs> We, we To start off D20 Docking Bay, we have a quick question from uh, Darth John. Does a failed block defect talent, or I'm sorry, does a failed block or defect incur the five, the minus five penalty on other block deflect attempts that round? Yes. Easy question. Okay, yeah, next yeah. question. Darth who? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, okay. No, quick, quick clarification, John. The devs have clarified on many occasions it does. You take a minus five for each attempt to block or deflect. You've called on the force, and it's left you drained. Whether your command of the force was strong enough to succeed on the block or deflect, that's another matter entirely. You still called on the force. So basically, yes. <laughs> All right. Darth Huvian emailed us with this question. I have a player that's trying to become a martial arts master. He's bought combat gloves, which is plus one to damage, and a vibro-knuckler, plus three to damage. From my understanding, he will not be able to take advantage of both damage mods. Is that correct? So do they stack... Yes, they do. No, they don't, because he's being stupid. <laughs> well, a quick look at it. I don't think he's being stupid at all. This is player, first of all. Um, combat gloves, page 121 of the core rulebook. Simple weapons, and simply they add plus one damage to your unarmed strike. Vibro knucklers, advanced melee weapons. Clone Wars campaign guide, page 60. They're operated off an energy cell. And they basically are a set of tiny vibrating blades that jut from a set of finger rings. They provide a plus three bonus to your unarmed strike. So why don't they stack? Because you can't wear two sets of gauntlets and or gloves at the same time. It'd right. be like the same thing as the player purchasing a vibro dagger and a lightsaber and then asking why he can't hold them in one hand and deal two die four and two die eight of damage. In his right. mind, he probably thinks he can put the gloves on and then slip the vibro knucklers on over them. But the intent of the rules clearly doesn't allow for this. That's the right. wording in both descriptions emphasizes that these items individually can't be disarmed due to their nature. They're gloves. So they really fall into the same category. Plus, it's uber cheese, dude. Uber cheese otherwise. Major Gouda. And if he just can't wrap his head around it from a role-playing perspective, uh, you know, from, a, from a balance perspective, and he needs the role-playing emphasis, emphasize that combat gloves are 
huge. Think think medieval gauntlets, thick, nasty affairs with duraplast bits and metal sections that extend from the hand in certain key areas, really designed to, to punch the crap out of somebody. Right. So think OJ and his isotoners. Well, I've got my combat gloves here with me, but uh, he could always wear one of each. He just gets to choose what he wants to attack with. They're not going to stack, but he has the option. Exactly. Good you point. Have to, you have to put them on, of course. Yeah, that is a good uh, point. Good point. That's awesome. Yes. Okay, lastly, this is something near and dear to my heart. From Agent Vincent. Oh, by the way, but when I say lastly, Elias Winrider is going to say, what, what, they didn't get to my questions? Elias, dude. Don't send me questions that are three minutes long. I can't play questions that long. So shorten them up. Send them again, buddy. All right? Cool. Awesome. Thank you. All right. So Agent Vincent asks, question about Wookiee Rage. Yes, I like it. Wookiee Rage? Yeah. When a Wookiee Rages, does he go into Rage of Anger that blinds him from his allies during battle and attacks everything and anything around him until his rage goes away? All right. Let's think about that. No. What? Is he really yeah. that out of control? Let's think about that. No. I always thought that the rage was against the baddies and he would not harm his allies or be blind, so, blind, bl so blinded by rage that he just sees all target around him. Yeah, you're right. The reason I ask is because in a game I played, my GM made me attack my own party after the baddies had all been pretty much destroyed because I was still raging and my party was standing there. All right, GM, what? you're oh, stupid. Stupid. All right, you what? need to turn in your saga card and you need to kill yourself. Oh no, Dave! Don't say that. No. Yeah, dude. If yeah, I don't want to get in trouble if he actually does. He could he, be maybe unstable. You don't know. It he is might. a chronic problem. I've seen that in other games as well. They have I, big I, flashbacks to the old barbarian rage rules. I know, and I don't get it. Okay, let, let's let's start slow. Okay, page thirty-two, core rulebook. Details the Wookiee racial ability of rage. Now, once a day, swift action, the Wookiee flies into this big Wookiee rage. <laughs> Gains a plus two to melee attacks, plus two to melee damage for the duration of the rage, which lasts a number of rounds equal to five plus its con mod. Now, at the end of the rage, he moves minus one persistent step down the condition track until he can rest for ten minutes. Great. Major balancing factor. In addition... During the rage, the Wookiee can't use any skills that require patience or concentration. Mm, yeah. That's it. Nowhere in there does it say I completely lose my mind and go berserk. Just, you know, hey, I kind of go nuts and I can't concentrate on doing calm stuff. So what the heck? It, full on, you, you hit this on the head, man. This screams of prior systems, guys that are still stuck in this older mentality. But my thing is this. Dude, GM, is this fun for your party? Why in God's name would you do this to your player? Why would you do this to the other PCs? Is that fun for them? Is it fun for you? Why would you do it? I just, I don't, I don't, maybe, I don't, I don't get it. Maybe he just thought the Wiki Rage was that imbalancing, but it really, honestly, isn't. He has a to plus take a two. Yeah, he gets a minus one persistent step down the contestant track afterwards. So. At the end, and he can't use a lot of serious skill checks. I mean, someone, right. it's a plus two. He's a Wookiee. Yeah. Let him out. I mean, golly. Yeah, the bottom line, dude, it doesn't say that in the raw. It is, it is I mean, he is the GM. It is, it is his interpretation. But I think you're well within your rights to question him on it and say, dude, this is not, this is not fun. Why are, you, why are you running it this way? I'm not having fun. Uh, you know, is this fun for my players? I, I, yeah, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. Maybe that's my interpretation. Absolutely, on it, I guess. he he must have just invoked the in, infinite infinite improbability drive and came up with that response. Boom! Along with a you know chicken in chocolate with durasteel gloves, jar of petunias. Forty-two. It's right with mayonnaise on the side. Okay, so fragments of the rim, boys and girls. Alex Van D and Trevor. About four and a half minutes here. We'll see you guys on the other side.
I can't wait. Welcome, Jedi Masters, to Fragments from the Rim. How may we be of service to you today? Hi, this is Alex. And Trevor. And this is segment number 23 of Fragments from the Rim. This segment, I've chosen to look at the stymie talent, which is a scoundrel talent as part of the misfortune talent tree, on page 24 of the Clone Wars campaign guide. I'm always looking for good talents that make use of the swift action. Far too often, you have, whether NPCs or PCs, that just don't have any use for the swift action. Listen to this talent. Once per round, as a swift action, you can designate a target within 12 squares of you and in your line of sight as the target of this talent. Until the beginning of your turn, you can cause that target to take a minus five penalty on all checks made with a single skill. You must have line of sight to your target to make use of this talent and declare which skill is to be penalized at the time this ta talent is activated. There are no prerequisites. How is this useful? Hmm. That opponent, he's got a lightsaber. I declare that he cannot make use of his use the force check. How about using it against perception when your fellow compatriots are attempting to be uh, deceptive? What about using it against initiative? Think of all sorts of other situations where you might want to reduce someone else's skill. One area I'm not too certain about is whether or not you could use this when you are piloting a ship against opposing pilots. It says 12 squares. 12 squares character scale or 12 squares starship scale? That's one thing I wouldn't mind having the developers clarify, just in case. But this looks like one fantastic talent to me, especially when facing those Force users. Over to you, Trevor. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the feats Brink of Death and Fatal Hit, found on pages 35 and 36 of the Legacy Era Campaign Guide. Brink of Death has absolutely no prerequisite, and the benefit of it is when you deal sufficient damage in an attack roll to kill a target, you may instead choose to reduce the target to zero hit points, leaving it unconscious but alive. And Fatal Hit does have prerequisites of strength and dexterity, both of 13. The benefit is when you take someone to zero hit points, you may choose to automatically kill them, even if the damage dealt does not exceed the target damage threshold. In addition, you can perform the coup de grace action as a standard action instead of a full round action. Now, the reason I'm coupling these together is because they're basically opposite ideas of the same thing. In the case of Brink of Death, I'm thinking of someone who's playing a bounty hunter who's got a bounty that is basically bring them alive only. And how do you make certain you bring them alive? Well, you make certain by using this feat. And, or, if you're fighting and you want to keep yourself one guy alive in the combat because you want to interrogate him later, you use this feat. It has a lot of role-playing potential, a lot of role-playing elements. Whereas, Fatal Hit is almost the exact opposite. It's basically made for somebody who wants to always have that final blow be utterly lethal and take out the bad guys. Now, I don't see a lot of player characters using that feat other than unless they're really, really heavy-duty um, hack-and-slash kind of guys. But I can see it from a role-playing perspective from the, the case of the bad guy. Uh, if you want a bad guy who every time he hits somebody, they seemingly, you know, wilt and fall and die and, and, and to put that fear and concern in the characters that when they fight this guy, they've got a good chance of dying. This would be the feat that would make certain that that happens because there's lots of times that our characters in the, in the, in the battle go down, but not necessarily out, assuming someone can med back them. This, they'd be gone. 
And I think the fear of lethality is something that always needs to be in the game because people need to realize these are high-stake events with high-stake actions. And yes, it is only a character on a piece of paper, but as far as the story goes, it's a person with a life and a story and, and a purpose. And lethality is, 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 you know, a fear that should be there. So I think these are both typically pure crunch concepts, but they have a lot of fluff that can be brought to the table with them as well. Anyways, if you have any questions or comments, please uh, send Alex or I an email at order66 underscore fragments at rogers.com. And until next time, have fun gaming. Thank you, Masters, for visiting Fragments from the Rim. Wahoo. I love those feats. I, I thought they were they were fantastic. And TG, you know, you and I had that conversation about my droid character that a droid might even be able to take um, uh, uh, the 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 feat where you don't kill them um, as a way to get around behavioral inhibitors. Yeah. And yep. that's you know, hey, if your GM lets you, why not? Well, let's get to the crunch of this show, the meat, shall we? TG, full on. Are you guys are you guys ready to to rock and the proverbial roll? No. Yes. Let's do this. <laughs> Dave I'll, says no. Oh, but I, I, I'm ready. But only if you'll let me tell tell you about my character. Can I tell you about my character? No. I got a really cool character I want to tell you about. You must tell me about your mother first. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you about the background of my character then. Tell me, tell me about my let me tell you about my character's background. It's awesome. Yeah, but how so, are the graphics? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Gamer Nation. So, in the aftermath of the monumentous release of the Rebellion Era Campaign Guide, a flurry of excitement has been brewing about the brand new mechanic right at the beginning of the book. Now, nearly every book has introduced some new type of optional mechanic for the game, uh, from the Clone War Campaign Guide's mass combat system to the Force Unleashed, Unleashed abilities to legacy destinies to technical modifications and scum and villainy. Amazing game-changing, fun stuff with the big red if you want this, here it is stamp right over it. And many game groups and GMs have gladly and greedily said, yes please, yes please. Uh, so, Rebellion Era Campaign Guide introduced a new concept that people really love. The idea of providing mechanical benefits from a character's background. Now, this new system option, this is important to note, replaces replaces the existing destiny mechanic. And should you choose to implement it, it allows your characters to manifest a significant piece of their background into hard effects at the table, things that alter the way we play. Now, the forum buzz, and frankly, my email inbox, has been so big since Tuesday regarding this issue. I think this topic is ripe for discussion, and we're going to talk about it, as well as talk about ways to build character backstory into your plots and your games. So please, Gamer Nation, grab your Rebellion Era campaign guides, flip to page 16, let's grab our character notebooks, our frappuccinos, and start developing our character backgrounds. <sighs> I'm, a, I'm a little offended that you assume that we all have frappuccinos. Well, some, something cozy that you're going to drink when you start developing your character background. Okay, okay, mountain. You need, you need to be a little mountain. bit more PC in your drink choice. Dr. Pepper. Fra- okay, okay, well, okay, pause for the moment. Uh, TG, preferred preferred character background building drink choice is? It's Canadian Dry. Canadian Dry. Ginger Ale. Ginger oh, Ale. Yeah. Dave, preferred character building background drink choice? Mike's Heart Lemonade. Mike's Heart Lemonade. There you go. <laughs> Full on. Preferred uh, uh, a background character building drink choice? That would be the grog. Elaborate. 
That would be one full can of full throttle and a 24-ounce bottle of Pepsi mixed together in a mug. I like your ideas and would like to subscribe to your publication. Ah, yes. And yours? <laughs> <Beer -a -chino. laughs> I love it. Thank you very much, Echo Base. What? <laughs> a birachino. A beer. What's a birachino? It's probably like a frappuccino, except it's beer. Oh. <laughs> oh. Well, for, for me, honestly, I love to brew myself a nice steaming hot cup of black coffee, pour enough cream and sugar in it to kill a grown man, and then sip on it slowly. And that's uh, my preferred. So let's let's delve into this, guys. Let's talk about the background system here, uh, real briefly. Um, uh, the, the the Rebellion Era Campaign Guide introduced this brand new system with, the, of course, the caveat that they recommend it replaces the existing Destiny system. Now, the background system rewards a character for things that happened before the very first session even begins, whereas the Destiny system obviously rewards them for things that will happen to come over a character's career. So it's a very different way of looking at it. Now, during character creation, the player chooses a very significant background option for their character that does not change at all, ever, and stays with them throughout their whole career. A character chooses one option from one of the paths in the background system. So the first path, TG, what is the, very, what is the first path of the background system? Well, we've got events. So there's a single defining event that has put you on the path to becoming the hero that you are, the amazing hero that you are. Have you ever um, seen something or other in the pale moonlight? <laughs> <laughs> yes, precisely. Right. So, an event that was a cornerstone of your backstory is what's going to define or shape you. So, they have 11 different events, such as bankrupt, orphaned, imprisoned, marooned, etc., etc., that just represent you or a key moment for you as a hero. And each event provides your character with a list of three skills associated with it. You choose one and it becomes a class skill for you. So yeah. I, like I really uh, like this a lot. Could tell, give us some examples, Katie. Yeah. So if you choose enslaved, um, you get to the three skills associated with it is climb, endurance, or jump. Um, disgraced is deception gather information, and stealth. Um, so, so, like, what you're saying is, like, so if I'm playing a noble, okay, and uh, let's say I have a history as a slave, I could have potentially either climb or endurance or jump added to my skill list. And otherwise, I would never normally be able to take that. Sure, but it seems a little odd that a noble was once enslaved. Oh, well, that depends on your definition of a noble. And honestly, I guess, and, and whatever your write-up is, I guess it can... Absolutely, it I, I can see it perfectly, especially, you know, maybe, maybe your... Societies, they, you know, go after each other's people all the time. Look at what happened with uh, Dracula. Oh, there you go. Boom. Beautiful historical example of Vlad Tepish. Um, I mean, he was, you know, when he, where he was the son of a king, he was enslaved uh, to, by the Ottoman Empire, if I'm, if I'm correct, until he, until he was a little older and was able to break free. Formalized hostage exchanges happens all the time. Absolutely, in the Star Wars universe, I can see perhaps a a hut, you know, kidnapping a a, a young noble girl, maybe to serve as his uh, slave. You know, one one could argue Princess Leia was a slave for a short time, um, while she was, you know, indentured to Jabba the Hutt. I can see it happening in Bakura yeah. a lot too, with those noble houses. Absolutely. So, hey, there it can work. But TJ, there's also like there's one more thing that choosing an event gives you. Yes. You gain a special ability, one special ability related to one or more of this of your skill checks. So, for example, uh, conspiracy—if that's one you've 
chosen, you get to re-roll perception checks versus deception checks, keeping the better result. The better result? That yes. is awesome. That is really super awesome. That might, yeah, that's pretty awesome. In my opinion, awesome. it sounds like it might be a little bit more powerful than Destiny, uh, having uh, a Destiny, no. unless your, your GM is cool with you fulfilling several Destinies throughout the campaign. Um, another example, though, we'll get into that later, I guess, is Marooned. You take no penalty on treat injury checks to heal yourself. That's freaking awesome. Coming from someone who plays a noble that treats injury on everyone, <laughs> I always get the short end of the stick if I actually need healing. So Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. Hey, don't forget some droid love there. Mechanics checks to repair yourself as well. Uh, I hate droids. Yeah, very true. <laughs> Good point. We hate well, yeah. I know, of course, you've got your MR5, M1TH. Yeah. Mr. Smith. Who hates all your meat sacks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, basically, these represent concrete and defining, defining parts of your background that will seriously affect you and have ultimately changed you forever and made you what your character is. I think I think it's a neat a neat thing to to consider. And now the the next sort of path for uh, the background system is occupation. So this really harkens back to one of Saga Edition's most influential ancestors, arguably D twenty Modern. Which, if you haven't played, you really should know your roots, Saga players. Play some D twenty Modern. First system to have the uh, the idea of talents and uh, you know you know static defense bonuses in the D twenty system based on class. It was very very revolutionary in that regard. And in that system, they had occupations. You you choose an occupation, and from that, you would get certain skills added to your class list, potentially a bonus feat, stuff like that. So here, a character can now choose an occupation as a background option, and that becomes a defining thing. So before becoming a hero, I mean, everybody was somebody, uh, something. They were doing something somewhere, and the skills they learned in that job, they never really leave you. So they, this book also presents 11 generic occupations, things like, like academic, uh, law enforcement, pilot, politics, um, that, that represent the, that early stage in your character's life and it, really how it impacts you forever. Um, each occupation provides a list of, of three skills associated with it, and you choose one, and it becomes a class skill for you. And in addition, unlike the event, um, the, the three skills... There we go again. Cue the Benny Hill music, boys and girls. Oh. What he was really about to say was that in addition, you get one special ability related to one or more of your skill checks. So as TG was saying before, conspiracy, you get to re-roll a perception check. So basically... They represent concrete and defining parts of your background that seriously affected you and changed you forever. And that represents a significant event that occurred in your history that's part of your backstory. So moving on to occupations. So set your way back machine and harken back to one of the most influential ancestors, D20 Modern. A character can choose an occupation as a background option. And I really like this because it harkens back to one of really the most influential ancestors of Saga Edition, D20 Modern. And if you haven't played D20 Modern, you need to go play it, Saga players. Know your roots. It was the first D20 system to introduce the concept of talents and, and static defense bonuses based on class. Um, it was really revolutionary in a lot of ways. It's a good system. Um, but 
it, it also introduced the concept of an occupation, and you would choose an occupation for your character, which would give them certain bonus class skills and occasionally a feat, and that's kind of something that we've returned to here. So in this, the background system presents 11 generic occupations, things like academic, law enforcement, pilot, politics. They represent really, really early stages in your character's life and, and really how it impacted them later. Now, each occupation provides a list of three skills that are associated with it. So you, you choose one of them and it becomes a class skill for you. In addition, you gain a permanent plus two competence bonus to any untrained checks that you make with any of those three skills. Uh, so basically, even if you choose not to train in one of those uh, in, in that class skill, you're still going to get a, a plus two competence bonus to all three of them, and that's that's highly highly cool. So for example, uh, one of the occupations is celebrity, and if you you know you had a celebrity occupation, um, you were you know going to be your class skill list is going to be deception, uh, gather info, and persuasion. You can choose one of those to add to your class skill list permanently. Uh, the military occupation, endurance, ride, treat injury. I love it. I love it. These occupations, though, they're they're very generic, but they're they're vital parts of certain character backgrounds. You know, kind of when an average person gets drawn into extraordinary events, because again, every hero, every hero was someone before they were a hero, someone somewhere doing something, and that that really just stays with you. And um, you know, this this can represent that beautifully from a background perspective. Well, Fulon, why don't you tell us about the next uh, path that we can go down talking about these, uh, these, this background system. All right, no problem. So the next option is the planet of origin, because even more broad than your occupation, your mere birthplace, or more specifically I'd call that, where you were raised, can often be assumed to instill in you certain skills and abilities. I mean, what do we know about Han Solo? He's Corellian. What do we know about Leia? She's Alderanian. What do we know about Luke? He's from Tatooine. They're twins. They were raised on separate planets. They get entirely separate backgrounds as of cause. So, 24 of the more iconic planets in the Star Wars universe are here, as well as a sidebar to help you create new planets or others that are not included. You get each planet of origin, you get a skill list of three skills. You choose two, and they become class skills for you. Examples like the Mon Calamari, they get mechanics, persuasion, and swim. Ryloth, you got deception, persuasion, and survival. Also, each planet of origin provides a new language which you automatically know when selecting this option, either as an a native alien tongue, or a regional trade language or a cultural one. For example, on Coruscant, you get High Galactic. Bathawi, you get Bathese. Okay, now wait a second. You're telling me that by having the planet of origin, you get to choose two skills, and then you get a bonus language? Doesn't that seem a little bit imbalancing from what the other ones get? No, I don't really think that those are going to be unbalancing, because in the other background elements, you get competence bonuses over a massive array of skills, or you get certain mechanical benefits that only apply in certain circumstances, where here all you're getting is two skills to add to your available skill list, or a language, and everybody can use a language. I mean, what are you going to do? Just get a droid? You get the same effect, and it doesn't have any mechanical influence on it. Okay, that makes perfect sense. I got to agree too. It makes perfect sense to me. I think the what you get uh, certainly outweighs it. But this brings up a good point, and kind of where I want to move to this discussion as we kind of round it off. The key thing I know, full on, you and I have had some really good conversations about this. Really weighing this is that they say, okay, this replaces the destiny system. Okay, well, okay, what are they talking about? Okay, is that talking about the complete destiny system? Like no completion destinies, no destiny points, no legacy destinies? I mean, really, what are they talking about here? So. 
honestly, looking at the bonuses of what this gives you, I want to get the opinion of each one of you guys. Um, for the heck of it, starting with TG. Uh, honestly, do you think this this is worth giving up your destiny for? Giving up those destiny bonuses. Okay, giving up your destiny and giving up your destiny bonuses are two different things. It's hard to give up those destiny points because I know they have saved my butt in a lot of different situations. Maybe giving up the destinies I could probably do. Although it's kind of cool because it gives the GM some guidance on where the players want their characters to go if you're really playing in a strong heavy role playing kind of game. Or if you're like me and you want to play in a really high power super heroic game, well hey, go all in. I'm for that. That means you're going with your legacies, you're going with your destinies, you're going with your backgrounds, you're going with everything rolled into it, and it's going to be a big slammer of a game. But you've got to watch your power balance when you get into that yes. and be ready to deal with the issues that are going to come out of that. And that's the big thing. You've got to be ready to deal with those issues. I mean, if you create a high-powered game like that, you just got to be prepared for what's going to come. And honestly, I think it's a good variant. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I think it'd be fun to have a game where you have, you know, straight-up regular destinies and legacy destinies added to that where you get the bonuses. And even these backgrounds, they're really cool. And I think what it adds to it can really bring a lot to the game. Now, talking about that, listen, it's clear the mechanical benefits that this can give you, all right? The ability to to enter a prestige class with a skill requirement without having to take the okay, without having to take the class that skills normally associated with. The big example, of course, is survival, getting into bounty hunter, one of the more powerful prestige classes, and not having to be a scout in order to do so. With the right background, I can be trained in survival as a noble or a soldier or a Jedi. And that can really change things up quite a bit. Now, that power creep can be pretty evident, and I think that has to be taken into consideration. But ultimately, what this boils down to, I guess for me at least, is we finally have a way to see a, a developer-sanctioned mechanical benefit for a backstory. This t would tend to lend some validity to a backstory. All right, It's saying, okay, well, well, backstory is important for your character. It's important for the game. We think it's so important. Look at this. So I guess I want to kind of conclude this conversation by asking you, how much is too much? The idea of you know, hey, let me let me tell you about my character. It's gonna be so great. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, literally, as a GM, I have had people hand me thirty-seven pages of backstory. TG, back me up on this. I yeah. mean, seriously, uh, we've had players that just have gone hog wild. I have others that show up with a session with absolutely no interest at all, and it's like you know, well, what's your backstory? He's an orphan. His parents are dead. Uh, he wanders the galaxy. So, uh, final thoughts. What is too much, and how important is a backstory to a good campaign? I might be kind of the wrong person to ask that, because I'm full-on gamer for a reason. <laughs> I've got Wayland yutani and the Umbrella Corporation in my corporate sector, along with the Bordigan sector from Star Chaser Legends of Orin. So, I like to add a whole lot. But, when it comes to backgrounds, I kind of leave it up to my players. I want to have some background, some meat, and I'm willing to give tangible game benefits for your background, as much as you're willing to take. Then again, I also tap a couple other systems, pirate in a couple other pieces of game material, and I can give you some negative background effects as well. I've dealt with everything from the... Battlelords of the 23rd Century, Galactic Underground 1, 2, and 3 books, <laughs> along with the central casting now, Heroes of Legend, Heroes Now, and Heroes of Tomorrow books, which can do some really demented things both for and against your character. <laughs> TG? Well, I really like the idea of having 
uh, a way of balancing so you get something good for something bad but of course this isn't what that mechanic is that's more like uh, spirit of the century Love one, of an, an, one of my favorite ways of creating a character now as far as from the player's perspective of how this mechanic and what what's too much and too little I don't like the person that comes in with 37 pages of background. Oh my gosh, that's just, <laughs> it takes up way too much of my time to try to get into. And it's not going to be beneficial for me to actually write a character background if my GM isn't going to use it as part of his story. I could mm. care less about actually getting a mechanic f uh, benefit from it, which would be fantastic if I did. I'd rather see my GM use it in the game in some way whenever I write it in there is in working mm -hmm. with him on that and as long as the other characters with the other people who are playing in the game are also using um, th the benefit of you of writing a backstory if they're also writing one as much as I'm doing then that's great but if not everybody's going to be into it then screw it I don't want to do it <laughs> well I, I understand that completely and you know I've seen both sides of the spectrum I've had guys that come to the table with wanting nothing more than to slaughter things they're really, you know, hackmaster players. They're really not going to care about a background story. But you know, you have episodic campaigns where it's all going to come and go. I think, I think you both bring up excellent points. I think there's two ways to go with it, and most importantly, I mean, there's a lot of inspiration you can draw from, and I, I see that inspiration here in this as well. So I guess the final thoughts we can leave you with, Gamer Nation, is that this is a really great system to use. Um, and it, it's one of those things where it can really add a good amount to your game, but you really have to consider the pluses and minuses of either getting rid of the destiny and what that's going to how that's going to impact your characters or more importantly if you decide to go the full route and take it all in how it's going to mildly unbalance things just to be prepared for it so that's pretty much it uh, and with that we kind of come to the end of our show um, I want to take the time to thank uh, our good friend full-on gamer for being in studio pseudo with us and um, taking the time always glad to and uh, GM Dave Twi'lek goodness Yo. for expressing your insights and lastly, big thanks to Hans over at uh, the Any Awards for coming on and sharing with us all that glory. And uh, with that, Gamer Nation, thank you all for tuning in. We hope to uh, see you next week. And I wish you peace, love, and good gaming. Oh, hey, have I missed? Have I missed? Oh, keep them dice rolling. And may they be full of the force. Hello, this is Staker, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. D20 Radio, where gamers roll www.d20radio.com. This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. So we think there's going to be a massive post-show, and uh, I would actually be lying. I'm just going to tell everybody to go vote. Please go vote. Anyawards.com. Any, E-N-N-I-E, slash, dash, awards.com. Vote for D20 Radio for Best Publisher, and vote 
for Order 66 as your favorite podcast of the year. Please. Beautiful. Thanks a lot, Gamer Nation. <laughs>